somebody came into the courtroom and said that your character Jenkins wouldn't be wearing that in court. And you just casually on your phone showed a picture of Jenkins in court wearing that very outfit. And you did the research. You knew exactly what you were going to be doing that day. You knew the character better than, in some ways, better than we knew it after researching it for two years. As you'll see very, very quickly, I ain't fucking Walter Cronkite. Like, I, you know, it's not what, you know, I'm do, doing this for, for a very sort of specific reason, uh, trying to bring folks in and talk to folks that uh, I admire deeply and that I respect greatly and I think are sort of a model uh, of, of what they do and people who, who walk the walk don't just talk about it. And uh, so, they, but they get mad I never really do like proper introductions. But, you know, look, man, you know, you're, you're, you're one of the greatest, American writers of all time, you know, and, and everybody, That's... and you've been, you, you know, just today I was reading, you know, you've been compared to, to Faulkner, you've been compared to Twain, you've been compared, it's like, I don't and, think so. Well, go, I, go and ahead. it's funny because Dennis talking, told me man. not to say that because Dennis was like, told me you'd be like, John, go fuck yourself, <laughs> shut up. But it's true. Well, I actually you know? don't think I've ever been compared. Yeah, I'll show Faulkner. you the article, man. I'll show you my, my, I was like, Hey pop, I get, you know, with that kind of research stuff, I always ask my dad, I told you my dad's like a huge fan of yours. And uh, like huge fan, you know, you're his favorite writer. And so I asked him to like, and, uh, you know, and he was and I'll show you the article, man. You were compared to Ann Chandler. uh, Yeah. Uh, But look, I, 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 you know, you've been a DC guy your your whole life. Yeah. Um, We both, you know, grew up right here in this city. And I just, I guess like just first and foremost, just tell me a little bit about growing up in DC, what you love about the city and all that. Well, I, you know, I've, uh, a fortunate in a lot of ways. And one of them, I think, is that I I, I, I grew up in a time that sort of straddled different eras. And so I remember Washington before 16, you know, everybody in D.C. that's lived here a long time breaks it up before 1968 and, and after 1968. Because of the because of the riots. The riots, yeah. yeah that, that followed in, in the wake of the um, Dr. King assassination. I mean, I always say that the riots, however much destruction and and negativity are associated with it, with the riots, it accelerated the civil rights movement by 10 years in one weekend. Wow. And it's where Dr. King was going, too. He was not, uh, you know, a lot of columnists now, right-wing type columnists will say, always say, that's not what Dr. King wanted. First of all, how do you know what he wanted? And there's all indications that towards the end of his life, he was getting fed up with um, 100% peaceful uh, protests. What were some of those indications? Like what? I mean, I think in some of his speeches, he was starting to say, uh, well, the the actual speech that he gave at the National Cathedral, which I, I'll get back to that, but I saw it. Um, wow. He said something like, I fear that if things don't change very quickly, this summer, meaning the coming summer, we're going to see some violence. Those weren't his exact words, but he predicted it. Yeah. And he was also coming out very strongly against the Vietnam War. His focus was changing into a broader sort of type of protest of the uh, American government in, in all respects, not just in, in racial relations, but their actions overseas and so on. He was yeah. changing. That Sunday, I came out of St. Sophia Greek Orthodox Cathedral, which is my church, and I heard a guy's voice. I heard a man's voice coming out over loudspeakers. And I walked across the street, and I walked behind the 
cathedral, which is right there into the gardens and all that. And there was like a thousand people back there. Yeah. And I stood back there with the people and I listened to Dr. King speak. And I didn't know, I didn't understand really what he was talking about. How old were you? I was 11. But I could see on the people's faces that he, what he was, what he meant to people because they were wrapped there. He had their rapt attention. Yeah. Yeah. And then four days later, he was assassinated. Wow. And the riots came. So that, you know, all that, uh, that, that year and that summer and me going down there and working for my father and my dad, dad obviously is Greek guy. And then all black employees, about five people that they're longtime employees on the other side of the counter, white people wearing ties, white professionals. For and the did most that part. change after the riots? No, but uh, well, yeah, I mean, there, we had black customers, but for the most part, it was white people, white professionals wearing ties mostly men sitting at that counter and that counter was symbolic to me um, on a, not on an intellectual level, but I felt what side of the counter was I on? You were, you were, you were, you were in a bag. I was on the side with my father and, and his help. Yeah. And um, everything I've written about has come from that. Wow. That's what, that's what sparked me to be a writer. Well, I didn't understand it, but I knew that there was something there. I mean, just that time in D.C. and then going into the 70s, like the, it, it just must have been a, just a great I mean, it n- like night and day difference then. I mean, what, what what sort of the city became and like what what was that like as like coming into being a teenager growing up around here? Yeah, it was just it was cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I love to be out there. I love playing basketball, pick up basketball over yeah. the city. Yeah. Where'd um, you play ball at? Oh, any place we we would drive around and just find games. You and your friends? Yeah. Who were your friends? Guy, uh, you know, a bunch of ethnic guys, Greek guys, uh-huh. Jewish, uh-huh. Italian. Uh-huh. And and uh, but you you had a nickname? N- not till later. Okay. And what was the nickname? <laughs> well, shoe dog. Shoe dog? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right on. Right. What was your game like, man? Uh, just uh, I wasn't I wasn't great, but I had heart. Yeah. Scrappy. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. I mean, I, I really, one of the things I wanted to do when I grew up was, was play basketball and I never grew up. Yeah. Like, I mean, I never grew taller. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I had to give up that dream real fast. And talk about just a little bit like basketball, basketball in this city. I grew up in a basketball family. My dad played in college. You know, my little brother played in college. My dad had a Sunday morning game, still has a Sunday morning game. It's been going since, it's been going since 1972. And, uh, you know, if you were if you were at my dad's house, it didn't matter, man. You you like you literally you could walk in from the bars at six a.m. If you slept in that house, he was waking your ass up. You were playing basketball at seven thirty. Like you had no choice. Uh, Sounds like fun. Yeah, dude. I mean, you know, I gotta say that the the I'm 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 getting to be an old guy. You know, like I'm sixty four years old, and it, one of the only things that I I really hate about is I can't play basketball anymore. It didn't happen yesterday. It it happened like you know when I got in my fifties, mm-hmm. and and I have dreams about playing basketball at night, like getting into games, and and that's the only way I can play anymore. What do you dreams. love about like what do you miss about it? The I, most? I just to me there was nothing better than 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 playing a game of basketball with guys, even guys you didn't know, especially yeah. and and going after it, you know, mm-hmm. trying to win. Mm-hmm. We used to play for push-ups. I don't know yeah, if you yeah. guys ever did that, but. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, really for us, it was just like 
talking shit, bragging rights. And then like people, you know, you had courts that you kind of claimed and stuff like that. My old man always talks about how you can get a guy on a basketball court and you can tell anything about him. You can judge their character in like two seconds. Do you feel the same? I, I know what he's talking about. Yeah. You know, it's like if a guy shoots all the time or if he wants to work the ball, do you right. hustle? Do you, so I, I guess when I ask about your game, you like, what would be the strengths of your game? Would you say? I mean, I surprised people. I could go to the hoop. Yeah. You know, that was a surprise. Cause I'm not, I'm not big at all. Yeah. 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 Average. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, and uh and you know but i like to dish too uh-huh, uh-huh. I like to set stuff up i saw as far as like the racial dynamic of this city and like how the city the the the, the kind of character of the city is there anything like specifically basketball um did you find that as like a great equalizer did you find when you went to court sometimes that you weren't really accepted well both but i i do feel like sports and work are two places where that's where you meet people who aren't like you mm-hmm. you know and and that's that's really, and of course, sports is a meritocracy. So you can prove yourself out sure. there or not. It doesn't matter who your father is. Absolutely. Um, but that's where I met, that's where I met a lot of people that weren't, you know, from my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It was sports. Yeah. And then on the job. Uh-huh. And I always worked these fun jobs. Like uh, even when I, when I wasn't working for my dad, I ended up doing a lot of retail. And then in my 20s, I worked in bars and kitchens and things like that. And I couldn't wait to get to work. I mean, the reason the, the shoe dog nickname is I worked at a place called the bootlegger during, uh, college, during college uh-huh. here we there was these, they had a few short shoe stores in DC uh-huh. and they were, um, catered to, they were the beautiful shoes. It's the best shoes in Washington. So we got the best looking women coming in there Okay, and they hired like all guys to work the floor and you know, for obvious reasons. And it was the most fun job I, I ever had. Like even today, like if you said, well, could I go back and work on that shoot <laughs> floor again? I'd give up everything that I've done. Uh, it's true. I mean, it was just amazing. And, but also, you know, there, there you learn a lot about people there too, because it was straight commission. It was really, uh, competitive, very competitive. Mm. And, um, it was it was so much fun. And in the, in, you know you know in your your teenage day, I mean, we've talked about it a little bit, and and you know I've just heard some things. You know, obviously I'm I'm close with you know one of your sons, but you got into uh, a fair bit of trouble a, a, as well as as a young man. Uh, can you just talk to me sort of about that and about like kind of uh, the kind of things that you were getting into, and just describe sort of that part of your life and why you think you were making those kinds of decisions? Um, <clears throat> well, I'll, I'll talk about it in, in the context of why I uh, do a lot of things that I do now. In other words, why I, I, I've been for a long time, I go into juvenile detention places and I go into the DC jail and I do these writing programs and reading programs and stuff like that. I've been very fortunate in a, in a lot of ways, first of all, I grew up in a house where I had everything I needed and I'm not talking about money cause we, we didn't have money, but you know, food, shelter, love, you know, that's all you need. That's, I firmly believe that that's all a kid needs. So I had that, but I, being a boy, I, you know, I was attracted to the other side of life and I, yeah. I screwed up quite, quite a bit. And, you know, so like there was a lot of things I'm not going to detail everything, but, and I'm not even going to say that it was, when I was just a kid, because when I was 28, I got arrested for a lot of things that happened one night, started out with an altercation in a parking lot. It ended with, uh, 
uh, the police chasing me, a high-speed chase. And I got charged with a whole rack of stuff, um, fl you know, assault, fleeing and eluding the police, driving on the sidewalk, all kinds of things like that. And I was 28, so I can't even chalk that up to being a kid, right? I know exactly what you mean, man. And, but I didn't get, I didn't get sent to jail. And so Again. what did the fact that you didn't get in trouble, that you didn't get put in the system, that you, that you still were, I imagine your, your old man still supported Well, the police, you. they called me the next day because I, I lost them that night. I lost them in that chase. I knew that I knew the streets and they didn't know those streets. So they called me and they said, you know, we got your license number. Like, <laughs> or you want to come in or you want us to come get you? So I drove to my parents' house and I said, mom, I was getting ready to get married in a few months. What the fuck? And, and I said, uh, Mom, Dad, you know, I'm, I'm about to go in and get arrested and stuff like that. I had to do that. I went in there because they didn't catch me. And I was, I was drunk, and, and there was, I'm probably sure there was cocaine involved, too, because it was the 80s. And I was doing that, too. And um, because they didn't catch me that night, it was, they couldn't get me on the, the substance stuff. Yeah. Drunk driving and everything. So I didn't go to jail. I, but I got... Put in, they made me go to this thing at night where I went with all these other people like me. And I took a, I took a look around in that class and there was guys like, you know, carving swastikas into the desk and all that shit. And the first thing that I thought was, man, these guys are a bunch of losers, yeah, you know? Yeah. But then the second thing I thought was, I'm one of them. Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting with them. I'm not the guy at the front of the class. I'm one of these guys. Yeah. yeah. And it woke, it woke me up, man. So that was your moment right there. And that, so, but, but, Whatever happened from, you know, whatever was going on up until there, you're still talking about like there's a, there's a long period of time where I imagine you were in situations where you could have learned that lesson where you, for other people, they wasn't ready. Been, yet. It wasn't ready. You, you could have hit that rock. I mean, I, I, I very, very similar thing with, with, with right. me. It was just like, it kept happening. And I think my last one, I think my last one actually was in, in my thirties, which is horribly embarrassing, but it was just one time I saw it, you know, and, and, and that was it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the word is, whether it's some sort of guilt or some sort of injustice in the fact that you were able to kind of do these things. These things happened and you didn't get thrown into the system. What do you want to call it? Blind luck, whether you want to call it prejudice, whatever it is that you didn't. And you're living in a city where kids are getting locked up left and right sometimes for shit. They didn't exactly. Do I mean, you hit it right on the head. Like yeah. they, they came into my house, into a white house. They saw that I was there with two loving parents and, uh, and they're like, we're, we're not going to do, we're not going to charge this kid, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think probably the same thing. Uh, I had a lawyer for that last incident. We'll skip right to that. Mm -hmm. Where a lot of people can't get a lawyer other That's than right. a, a disinterested public defender. That's right. And, you know, I, I walked in there with wearing a suit and I had a job and all that stuff. And, and the judge probably looked at me and said, this guy's, this guy's not a, uh, not an asshole. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to. And, and, but, most of the kids don't even know to, to, to go in there and wear, put a tie on it or get a haircut. You right. know what I mean? Right. And that's, that's takes me to what I, the reason I'm willing to talk about this stuff is because that's why I know they're there, but for the grace of God, go I like those kids that are not all of them. There's some bad kids and that are sociopaths and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But for the most part, they're just like me. They, they were stupid boys who, uh, did stupid things because their heads are scrambled, yeah. you know? And there's a science to it too. Like they take pictures of the brain and they show that a, a, a 17-year-old kid, the, 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 the brain is crowded with 
like confusion, you know, the, the colors and everything. Are, yeah. And then it, you take a picture of that same brain five years later and it's conscience and reasoning have taken over, yeah. you know, the color codes for that yeah. have dominate then dominated the brain that you grow up. Yeah. And, um, so then I, that's when I started going into, uh, I started in DC schools and then I said, well, there's kids in school that are at, uh, Oak Hill and New, Be which became New Beginnings, they have a school there too. I should go out there and talk to those kids. And then I started going through the uh, Free Minds Book Club, this organization here in town. I started going and talking to juveniles, the juvenile block at the DC jail, which is for kids that have committed really ser serious crimes and they're getting ready to transition into the uh, federal prison system, system when they turn 18. I do this reading program there through the uh, Free Minds Book Club. Did you say in the moment, well, I know this same shit isn't happening to this guy, this guy, or this guy, and I just got lucky here? Is it something you knew inherently, or is it something that you understood kind of looking back on it? You understand Look, what I'm saying? It's, yeah, I do. I think it's more looking back on it mm -hmm. and and going to these places and, and getting involved. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm, uh, like I'm uh, you know, Rosa Parks or something like that, like I'm doing some great thing. I, you know, there's an amount of guilt to it too, because I go to the DC jail and, or I go to new beginnings and then I'm there for an hour and then I walk out to, to my out nice car and you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. Like, I can't really, I can't really help them in, in a way that I, that I want to. And, and, and I don't even have the commitment to do that, honestly. But once you do go in there and you get to know some of these people, the young guys, especially, they, they know what they did and they know what they're facing. Yeah. And I've had, I have more attentive meetings with those young people than I do when I go into public schools yeah. and private schools like this one. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they're more receptive to There's a hunger for it. There's yeah. A hunger there's a for hunger. that connection. Yeah. You're you going to look at me. I'm going to look at you. Right. Yeah. I mean, during the eighties, it was a, it was just, you know, it was a pretty brutal, brutal time when you talk about crack and AIDS. It and turned. Yeah, I mean, it was just like talk talk a little bit about DC in the '80s. You know, with you know being in Mayor Barry's DC, was that a dark time for you, or was it fun as fun? Like, what what was that like? And 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 also, I guess like in that period of time where you were getting in trouble, did you know there was more to life for you? Did you know that that like you you were you were kind of better than that, or there that there was something bigger, or were you just having fun, or did you not really think about it like that? Uh, the seventies was a lot of fun, just straight up fun yeah. here. Yeah. Y you didn't, you didn't really w worry about random shit happening to you, like catching a bullet when you're on the street or there, you know, you, you always got tested. There were fights and stuff, but it was physical fights. It was, and, and the, and the other side, even the drugs were better. Like it was communal. Like you smoke weed with your friends Yeah. in the eighties. People went in the bathroom by themselves and did Coke. Yeah. Uh, like that's no fun. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and also AIDS came in the eighties. So like before that, it was like people in the seventies, you didn't even use condoms. Yeah. 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 Like it, it, you just assume, well, she, she's on the pill and you're good. You're good. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was just fun. And then it kind of like, I always think of the eighties as like you're climbing up this mountain in the seventies and then you got to go down the other side of the mountain in the eighties and the other side of the mountain, the sun's not shining on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't, I didn't like that decade at all. I, I had good things happen to me. I got married and, and, uh, things like that, but I didn't, 
I, I don't look at it fondly. And, and it's when the, uh, they started coming down on people for the three strikes thing, all that. And that's what we, you know, we continue to write about like in our show, which is the effect of the drug war on people, locking people up for nonviolent crimes. That's kind of where I was going. Like, do you, do you feel like the eighties and sort of the, the, the beginning of the war on drugs through all your writing and everything you've done on TV and in novels. I, I um, try to, I try to write about it. And, and I feel like I'm in my novels. I'm feel like I'm li- kind of leaving a history of this town. That's why I've only written about Washington in my novels. And so, you know, I've done the seventies, I've done the eighties, the nineties, and I, and I've, it's always been a, not, not a political in the sense of like, you know, who the mayor is and stuff, but political in the sense of why things are the way they are. I'm really interested in why things work the way they do and how people get crushed by the system yeah. when it's working against them. Um, you brought up Barry. Um, I'll probably get hate mail for this, but you know, you always, you always do. But, but when you bring up his name, because people are so passionate about it, but you know, he's the best mayor the city ever had. And on one side, he was a great mayor. On the other side, he was a human being who had, who had faults. And, um, you know, he created a black middle class here in a lot of ways. There was always a, there was always an upper uh, class black population here. Harlem Renaissance. We had our own Harlem Renaissance in the in the twenties, and and um, there was always that in Dunbar High School and so on. But Barry created a black middle class. How did he? I mean, I've heard people say that wow. jobs, government jobs. He created not only government jobs. Summer jobs for kids, the summer jobs program. Yeah, I I had one, my first job, at, you know, outside of my outside dad. The diner, yeah. I, I worked for the rec department, dollar yeah. sixty an hour. That was a summer jobs program, and and every you each talk to Washingtonians my age, and they almost all of them say I got my first job because of Marion Barry. Yeah. Not only that, he built all sorts of um, senior living facilities for people east of. Rock Creek Park and east of the river where there wasn't, where there was none, but people always want to get, throw shade on them. And, and even, you know, I'll tell you a story. Like I did a, I did a, uh, a script for based on his life that I was commissioned to do. And the guy that was the studio guy that was giving me notes kept coming back to the same thing, but why did he do it? Why did he, you know, why did he smoke crack? Why was he, why was he chasing women? And, and, you know, this went on for months and months. And finally, I said, I said to the guy, I said, because he wanted me to go back and say, did he have daddy issues? And what happened was, I said, you know, he liked power and he liked pussy. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like that's just that. Simple, and yeah. he was a great mayor. Why can't yeah. you deal with that? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, he's, he was a human being. But everyone, I mean, everyone knew he was doing that, right? I mean, like, yeah. that wasn't a surprise. I right. Mean, like, yeah, just like Kennedy. Yeah. I mean, everyone knew he, everyone, I mean, I remember like being a little boy and my dad was like, yeah, Mayor Barry, you, you know what I mean? It's prostitutes and shit. Like, like, like it was just kind of like a known... Well, it was it was tragic because he was so bright and did so many good things. Yeah. It was tragic on a personal level. But I don't know why people took it personally, like why they hated him so much. Do you think Len Bias plays a, a role in that? Uh, well, you know, I wrote a book, The Sweet Forever, which takes place over the, um, the, the uh, NCAA, uh, the tournament. And then his death, it ends in his death and what it meant. It meant so much to 
Washingtonians. I know yeah, that did. you must know a lot of people who stopped doing coke after Lev Meister. A lot of people. I mean, I was a little boy, but I it's one of you know that and when the Challenger blew up, and when Mayor Barry got you know was on TV with you know smoking that pipe, the landmarks. But like those are the yeah. I, I remember exact. I mean, I was little, you know, under ten, but I remember exactly where I was when each three of those things happened. And Len, Len Bias was just like couldn't couldn't you know stopped us all in our tracks we were like what yeah world? i mean i look i still have a picture of him in my office on my office wall palming those two basketballs yeah. like and i saw him play yeah. he he was as good as jordan in my in my opinion he yeah. would what what a you know what a waste like had they played together yeah in the nba yeah i saw him you know he was incredible man yeah all he was was a young guy who was celebrating he wasn't a cokehead or anything like that he he just did too much on one at one sitting. He was celebrating. He just got signed to the NBA. You know, you know, I've been kind of connected to you since the day I met you, and I admire you and look up to you for a shit ton of reasons, which I want to get into. But I admire you too, John. Th thanks, George. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it, no man, it's motherfucker. Anyway, but like, but but you know, growing up in a city like this, in a predominantly black city, the the hypocrisy. It's just like, it's like right in your face all the time. And I really, really felt it both out, like in the way that the, you know, I got in trouble with the law, uh, you know, quite a bit. And, and that same thing, it, it like really affected me how I, owe, and it, it, did, it didn't make me say, hey, I'm not going to go run to my dad. Hey, I'm not going to go run and get all the help that I can. And my old man was like, by all means necessary, we are going to like try what, with whatever we can to keep you out of the system. But at the same time, it was never lost on either one of us how 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 ridiculously fucking unfair that is yeah. um but even right here in this school you know i was a terrible kid and a terrible troublemaker but somehow i you know i graduated from this place and i i have you know many dear you know black brothers who who got thrown out and who did do, do far less you know yeah. and and i feel like that hypocrisy has really shaped like it's just shaped me in so many different ways. And I'm wondering whether like, when you say you see Len Bias, like the narrative was, here's another, you know, black, you know, drug addict and the crack epidemic and the war on drugs, you know. That's no, just that's like, not what happened. It's that, not, not at all, yeah. right? But like, is that, do you think that that is unique to you being a DC guy? That you understood that? I, I, I don't know. I, I just think it's your to the totality of your life experience make shapes how you look at people mm -hmm. and things, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, watching uh, your interview with Natalie, something s stood out to me that she was talking about how you can't just judge people on their, on their politics or even their, even their uh, racial politics. Like I'll give you an example, like my kids, uh, like my sons, you know, my sons are black and, all my kids are adopted. So they, they got to be friends with these guys when they were growing up who, whose father was pretty, you know, rough around the edges. And I knew he, uh, just in talking to him, I knew he had, you know, like problems with black people and stuff like that. He's way older than I am. So he grew up in the fifties, very tough guy, but I didn't stop being friends with him or anything like that. And I didn't, it wasn't like I didn't want my kids around him and, when I, when my kids were with him, like if they, if he took them out to McDonald's or something like that, or to drove them to football practice, 
I felt like he they were safer with him mm. than they were with any of the liberal guys I knew in the neighborhood. <laughs> because if any shit went down, he'd take a bullet for my kids. That's right. Even though, even though he had racial problems in his in his head, he loved my kids, you know, and and he was tough enough to to defend them if he had to. Yep. And he would. Yep. Yep. So you know, don't you know, like just because somebody plants a Black Lives Matter flag in their, in their yard, it doesn't really mean anything to me. Yeah, I'm 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 with you there, man. I'm with you there. And and uh, t- 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 tell me just a bit about. I mean, like you know, your choice, your choice and your decision to write, like how that came about. And I, I imagine it's all connected, but um, your first novel is Firing Offense. Yeah. You know, and that's, th- th- there's like, I know a lot, little bit of that is like the DC, like kind of like hardcore scene, the punk rock scene. Yeah. Like, were you into that scene or? Yeah. I was like I was, 930 Club and Fugazi and Bad Brains. Yeah. And I know a bunch of those guys and yeah. they're all my, they're all my generation. Yeah. That was a big thing. But also in Washington, the, um, they were hooked up, like used to go, to, they'd sometimes have shows with go-go bands. Yep. And they were really trying to get black kids and white kids to, to be together. Yep. And we, we would be together, not in the, it didn't work in the larger sense. Like it's, it's not like we were then oh, that night we were over in Southeast or something yeah, yeah, hanging yeah. out, but for that afternoon we were. Right. And right. it was a real, the punk rock thing in, in Washington was a very positive thing. It's positive force. Yep. It wasn't like the scenes in the other cities where yep. there was a lot of violence and drugs and stuff like that. It was a, it was a good thing. Yep. Yep. So that, that was a big, that was a big deal. Yeah. What led you to write? that book and like what, what, what got you into writing? I just had this one story in my head that I always wanted to write. I only wanted to write one book to, uh, the, 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 this is going to sound corny, but to prove that I was here, that I existed, you know, I always thought, well, if I could have a book in a library after I'm gone a hundred years from now and, and my name's on that book, it meant that I was here, you know, that I did something. So so you knew when you were writing, you were like, this is going to get, I want to get this published and I want to get it out to the world. I didn't know shit. I, I was, I had never written anything before. I just had a, I had a feeling that I could do it. And because I what you saw the totality of the story or you, you or- I, I knew I could tell the story. I didn't know how to write a book. I never took a writing class. I didn't know any agents. I didn't know any other writers. I had no connection to anything. I did it and I sent it up to New York and I forgot about it. I sent it up to a, a publisher, one publisher in New York randomly. I knew they published a lot of crime novels and I, and I just didn't, I didn't call them or anything or write them. And then a year later they called me and they said, we just picked this up off the uh, slush pile and we want to publish it. That's what happened. And in that pro in that year, did you write anything else? I started writing another book because I liked it. it. Yeah. And, 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 and why did you stay? Why, why stay in crime? Why stay in DC? I think, the the crime thing and was gave me an engine to a narrative engine. I don't I don't know how to write a, a book where people are just talking about their feelings. Yeah, yeah. Shit has to happen. You yeah, know? yeah. It's got to be conflict and yeah. conflict is I mean drama is conflict, right? And then life and death is the highest form of conflict. So crime. And then the crime thing allowed me to go to the other side of town, which hadn't been written about in. You know, there was no writers writing about any any Washington novels except for politics, politics and bullshit. spies. Yeah. Yep. And and now I mean now of course there are. I mean, look, you've got Ed Jones, which I think he's the greatest writer. Edward P. Jones is the greatest writer who's ever come out of Washington. 
He went to Cardozo. DC Public School. Yeah, I mean, and we're, we're, I mean, some would argue that 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 you are, but yeah, I, I hear you. Oh, only you. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> but 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 uh, uh, t- tell me a little bit about um, just like truth and research, and um, I know why truth is so important to me. I know why, like, I know what it like kind of does for me of like finding the real story having that and, and, and diving into that. What, what, what is it, what is it for you? Like what, what, why are you, I mean, on set with, you know, you and you and David, you know, you, you guys know what the fuck you're doing and you, you know, you like things a certain way, but if something really happened a certain way, that always wins the day. And I'm just wondering why I'm, I'm wondering what that means to you. I, I just, you know, I think if you, if you're going to write about, uh, or make a show about people and, and especially people in the neighborhoods, you know, when I say in the neighborhoods, like locals, uh, don't have a lot and, and don't get written about a lot. I mean, that's the thing is like, I, I, I felt like, first of all, I'm going to write about stuff that doesn't normally get written people that don't normally get their, their place in the light, you know? Because American novels are mostly about people who succeed. They're not. I I, I want to write books about like a guy who's a dishwasher in a, in a kitchen, yeah. and at the end of the book, he's still a dishwasher, yeah. but he he lived his life a certain way. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if you're going to do that, you need to respect people, especially what you haven't said. But a white writer writing black characters sure as hell needs to respect people enough to go out there and and listen to people and 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 uh and and get involved you know and then in not in their lives but to 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 get the voices right how does that train like is it the same across like when you go and you do it in dc because i've seen how you are on set and i've seen how you are about the truth and i've seen how you are about your your research and just the respect and i mean you 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 know it's that's caught pot calling the kettle black because when you came to baltimore you completely immersed yourself in yeah. that, in what you, what you were portraying, and you brought stuff to set that we didn't know. In fact, one of my best memories of this show is when somebody said that <laughs> somebody came into the courtroom and said that your character Jenkins wouldn't be wearing that in court, and you just casually on your phone showed <laughs> a picture of Jenkins in court wearing that very outfit. Yeah, that was fucked up. And I'll never forget it because yeah. you did the. You did the research. You yeah. knew exactly what you were going to be doing that day. You, you know, you know. I, I guess for me though, man, I, I feel like I ha- if I don't do that, I'm fucking lost as shit. Yeah, but nobody like, told you to do that. Like uh, you uh, brought a lot to the show in a lot of ways, but also you knew the character better than, uh, and sometimes better than, in some ways, better than we knew it after researching it for two years, and. And you did all that on your own, which I really, um, I'm really thankful for. Well, th- I, look, I appreciate, I appreciate you saying that. Like I didn't, like, I didn't set you up to go riding with these guys and, and, and hang out with the police and go on rides and this and that. I, I didn't do that. Yeah. You yeah. did. It. You know, for me, it's like, yeah, there's no question. I think we're the, we're the same. We, we have the same relationship with it that it's got to be about respect. Like if you're going to do that, if you're going to put that uniform on, if you're going to like put, right. It, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to put, you, you know, pen to page and you're going to say, I'm telling your story. If, if I you know gotta find the truth, it's yeah. like you got to show that respect. You, you know, it would be disrespectful for, I think people think that art, it's just, 
that it's up, you, you know, that you've got to like create it. It's like, man, you got to do the fucking work and you got to find out what that is. And I, I hear what you're saying about like the respect and, and look, I think you got to kind of love what you're, you got to love the story you're telling and you got, you got to find something. But for me, a lot of it also is, uh, is fear, man. I'm, I'm scared shitless when, when, when I'm making something and the only thing I can like absolutely rely on is if you give me a situation where I say where, okay, at least we're going after truth. Like that's our sword. It's truth. Like we're going to go try to get this right and tell the story like it actually happened. Then it's you actually have a North star. You actually have something that you can follow. And, and for me, it's just, it's the only, it's, it's the only thing that kind of calms my nerves, but you just seem like so steady. You know what I mean? Like, 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 do you get well, nervous about this? Shit? Well, I'm nervous in the sense that my, my fear is that somebody's going to watch a show I did in Baltimore, a Baltimorean or a Washingtonian is going to read one of my books and say, that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. He didn't do his totally. research. Totally. It's and then a lie. You really, you're a chump. That's all I care about. I don't care about uh, <laughs> what they think in LA or New York or anything, yep. unless I'm shooting a show in LA yep. about LA. About LA. Yep. Yep. And so is that also, you know, you made The Wire. A lot of people like me think it's the best show in the history of television, you know, painted a picture that, you know, people hadn't really seen before. And, and you know, look, you guys, you know, you guys use Pat Moran, you guys use local casting, you right. guys filled the, the 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 piece with locals is that that same because there's also a side to you that you know nobody knows but i know it and that's just like you know man you have a huge heart and the truth is i mean i'll you know you made all these shows but you've been making them with the same crew and those crews they love you man those crews are there because of you because of how you treat people because of how you treat the community thank you yeah i mean that's just true right and that's they don't feel that way about everybody you know what i'm saying yeah and like they definitely don't like motherfuckers are there for you and i'm just wondering like when you you know obviously there that, that's a hit or miss thing when you're you're putting people in tv shows you know, you're you're putting people from the streets to play to play parts that are close. It's you a little more up. challenging because you can get a dud once in a while, but and then you, you can you get just a home run. did it. I mean, you know that, like the guys that you were that guy you were interrogating in that when we shot in that school. Yeah, you got he was in federal prison, right? And he walked to work from his public housing, which was right up the street that day. He walked to set. Yeah, that's one of the best actors we had on that show. Could, right? Couldn't ask for anything more. Couldn't I, I and, mean, like, and you can't get that. You can't get that from uh, casting up in New York and That's stuff right. like that. That's right. But you you also don't get the same uh, consistency, so you have it is a challenge. You know what I mean? So I understand why when that works, how that le- that 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 lends a layer of authenticity. You know, like like the wire, like what we're doing right now. There's a layer of authenticity that you can't get that anywhere else because you're populating it with the real people. And I get that, like there, there's that authenticity that you're after, that truth that you're after. But as part of it, also, um, it's just kind of being respectful and being um, kind of uh, paying 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 reverence to the city you're in by bringing those folks and employing them. I mean, I really couldn't. <clears throat> I couldn't wait to get back to Baltimore to to to, to do what you're talking about, which is because they need it man like that city needs it yeah i mean they need jobs but also um a lot of those people we we met way back you know in the wire for example that are like dewan in the costumes you know he was a kid that was hanging around set and we eventually gave him a job and now he's pretty far up in the in one of the departments and um all our security guys are yeah you know you've 
positively uh, impacted their lives, but they did the same for me. Right. I really like um, production. And I, I like it because I, you know, when I get out of the van in the morning and there's a hundred people there, the crew, I feel really good. It's like, all right, we're going to make something together today. And I think they're all in their own way. They're, they're all craftsmen, but a lot of them are real artists too. They're no, I'm not a bigger artist than they are just because yep. I wrote the thing yep. there and I can't do, you know, it's just words on a page until everybody makes it, everybody gets together and makes it. That's it. I, I like that. You know, that's the aspect of it. I like more than anything where when I'm writing a novel, it's all mine. My name's on it. You know, I, I get more of the, um, more of the, more of the love, like, you know what I mean? The ego stuff, but it's not as fun. Yeah. yeah. I, I like hanging out with people. Man. Yeah. Yeah. You're there, man. I mean, you're in yeah. it. And, 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 uh, you know, one of the things that I like most about this, production that we just did is just seeing you there with nick you know like seeing there with with your with your son and just how like just that relationship and you know i can see in your eyes you, you know you're looking at you know like that's your son man and that's just so you know i'm i'm a dad obviously i'm real close to my dad i know how much your dad means to you you know what i mean uh it'll it'll mean a lot to my other son pete works in, on the show too he's in the art department and it'll mean a lot to them later on i think it means something to him now but i know that i it was a great gift for me to be able to work with my dad growing up and see him see a man what's what a man's supposed to do which is to go to work every day yeah and my father was never happier than when he was turning the key on his business every morning and he was never happier than when he was at work and i i have i do the same thing as far as i'm concerned i have an office at home and Every day at nine o'clock, I walk in there and open the door to my business. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's mine. Yeah. And that's what I learned from my father. Yeah. What would you say just sort of like about kind of being a dad? I mean, your, 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 your kids are older and, and, uh, what are the hardest things about it? What are, what, what, what are the, the best things about it? It's mostly good. I mean, it's, it, I'm so, uh, thankful that I, that I did it and, um, and I'm continue to be their father, you know, I will for the rest of my life. And, and, you know, we, and as far as like the adoption thing, I have to quote to credit my wife because we uh, wanted a family and um, you know, we were having trouble getting pregnant and all that stuff. And then my wife was adopted. And finally um, I, I said, and she had a great life. I mean, her parents are our parents. That's absolutely. So I finally said to her, why are we fucking around with all this, fertility stuff let's let's adopt adopt some kids so we went to the thing you know the lawyer and it's a really weird process i think it is you know they 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 put a bunch of pictures out in front of you and and it's like an array of photos and all these babies and and they say you know like basically they say choose one well uh -huh. in in choosing one you're you're rejecting the other ones like you don't there's what you're going to do for somebody by taking them out of that situation, which is usually, you know, a, a negative situation is, is a great, is a good thing. You know what I mean? But the other kids aren't going to have that experience yeah. and stuff like that. So we went to the, um, we, we were in the meeting with the lawyers and, and they, and they said to us, uh, what kind of baby do you want? And I didn't know how to answer Well, I did say, I said, what do you mean? What kind of baby? You mean like what color <laughs> yeah. baby? Yeah. I didn't know how to answer it. I'm just a dumb guy. I want a, yeah. I want a son who looks like me, you know, yeah. curly hair, big nose, <laughs> Greek. 
and and uh, so I didn't I didn't know what to say. My wife goes, um, "We want whoever needs to be adopted. Like, mm. leave it to a woman to just like cut through Fuck all yeah. the bullshit and, and say say the right thing, you know." And that's how I got my kids. Wow! And it was easy. It was it was easy because we weren't trying to get a uh, a white kid. When Nick came to us, it was like right after our home study. It was like a few months after we started the process. They called us up and they said, there's a baby coming up from Brazil and, and do you want him? We didn't have anything. We didn't have a crib. We didn't have anything, man. We, when I went to the office to get him, he was wrapped up in the airline blanket um, wow. from, the, from Brazil Air or wow. whatever it is. And they, they, they put him in my arms. And I'm not kidding you, man. As soon as they put him in my arms, I was his father. Fucking Nick, man. And how about Nick, man? Like, what, like his whole journey, like, you know, like. He was an athlete and uh, really good. He went to DeMatha. He uh -huh. played football. He wrestled and all. But he he got thrown out of DeMatha. Oh, did he? Yeah. And, and then, I know he had gotten into some trouble. Well, no, he got into real big trouble when he was 18, like looking at prison kind of trouble. Yeah. What was that like for you? It was awful. But I, it was awful. And I, and, um, but having been sorted down that road myself, I knew that it wasn't the end. And, um, he lucked out too. And I think it's because I'm his father. In other words, we went to court and the judge knew who I was. He'd read my books and, and he had seen the wire. The wire was still on at the time or was, well, it was a little, it was just after it was over, but he had seen it. He knew who I was, and he gave my son probation instead of sending him to uh, to prison. So that's another example, right, of what we talked about in the beginning of this interview. Yeah. And I took him down to New Orleans with me to work on the show Treme. Was that the first first set he had really worked on? Yeah. Okay. He was eighteen. And uh, he's been, he's 30, he's been in the business 12 he's years and he's a director great, now. He's yeah, a director. He's the killer, man. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yep. Um, right on, man. Do you, uh, is there, is there anything else you want to, you want to talk about here today? I didn't know what I was doing, you know, when I was writing these books, I really didn't. I kind of learned it on the job and I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool? This, this kind of, this world that I started in the first couple of books it's a real world to me. It's Washington. And everyone's real, right? I mean, yeah. everyone's based on someone real. No, not everybody, but but I felt like, why can't these guys walk through other books um, and, and appear in other books? Because it's Washington. It's a pretty small town. What else do you want to do, George? Like, what, 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 what do you want to do, man? I don't know. I mean, there's so much There's so much I want to write about. I want to make a Western. Uh, I always wanted to make a Western. And uh, there's more books. I'm, I'm going to be working... Um, you know, it's funny. I, I had a, I, you know, this, I had a health scare earlier this year and I had a tumor, you know, I had a malignant tumor that I had an operation. They took it out. And, but the first thing I thought about when I got the diagnosis was not like, well, I wish I had climbed Mount Everest or yeah. I'd done this or gone to the Galapagos Islands or something. It's like, wait a minute, I'm not done yet. Like, what about all the books I haven't written? And what about the movies I haven't made and stuff like that. And I'm going to be keep working until my death. I mean, there's no retirement for me. I'm just keep working. That's what I look forward to. Yeah. You can't revise a blank piece of paper. Right. So 
Right on, man. Yeah. Right on. Here's this is the man right here. <laughs> it was such a pleasure working with you, man. Man, I'll never forget it. Yeah, I I, I feel the same way, man. Honestly, you. like you, I, it was a uh, that 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 one was was special. But you, you know what I said, you know that that I, I've never met so many beautiful people on a set and on a project like yeah, beautiful righteous amazing people and every single one of those beautiful people was there because of you you know Thank what you. I mean because they believe in you and what you're about and All right. like you know that you walk that walk so yeah man I uh, I really appreciate you man alright thank you yeah, me too thank you alright guys thank you George. thanks everybody Thanks for being here, everybody. I really appreciate it. If you dug what you saw and you want to hear more, subscribe, like, do all that stuff. Uh, it'd mean a lot to us. I hope you dig these episodes as much as we dig doing them. You guys take care of yourself.